Imagine for just a moment a little girl. She's sitting alone in a room full of office cubicles and she's holding a grocery bag. Inside that bag is everything she owns, an extra pair of underwear, a clean shirt, and if she's lucky, a stuffed animal sleeping friend. Hi, I'm Bryant Wright, president of Sin Relief. This mental picture is unfortunately not a figment of your imagination. This is often what it looks like when a child is taken from their home and placed into foster care. Mental pictures can be powerful things. In this episode of Stories of Hope, what do you do when you're presented with a mental picture like that? A picture of a lonely girl in a dark office clutching a grocery bag containing all her worldly possessions. We'll tell you a story about a very ordinary lady who got that mental picture in her head and then couldn't rest until she did something about it. Then we'll go in depth with Lynette Zell. As host of the Adopting and Fostering Home podcast, Lynette has learned from some of the best. She'll give you and your church some practical tips on how you can meet needs and change the lives of boys and girls in the foster care system. Here now is this story of hope. Rhonda loved Corey. Even after 20-something years, even after all those times when she would say, please, and he would say, no. Still, even then, Rhonda always loved Corey. I always say you need to know your man, and I feel like I knew my man. Um, Corey is one of those guys that if mama's happy, everybody's happy, and he really lets me have my way about everything. Um, except this. Um, I had always wanted to adopt and he had just never been open to that. You know, and he would always tell me, you know, Rhonda, I like simple and safe and predictable. And nothing about that is simple or safe or predictable. Seven years ago, Rhonda and Corey Paulson were living in Elizabethton, Tennessee. Rhonda was a cheerleading coach slash anatomy professor. I tell people I would go in the cadaver lab and then I would go pick up my pom-poms. You know, it was totally normal, totally normal. She had always been a willing and perfect match for a husband who wanted everything to be simple, safe, and predictable. Until that one night when everything changed. I just had this clear vision. I was standing and I was holding this little bitty pebble. And God kept saying, drop the rock, Rhonda. Drop the rock. And I let go of the rock and it hit the water and all these ripples. And he said, you just drop the rock. I'll take care of the ripples. The first rock Rhonda ever dropped was in 2014. It came in the form of an unforgettable but very unromantic night on the town. I actually asked my husband to go on a date and we ended up at foster foster care classes um, and he was not happy. It was a sneaky thing to do. And yet, when Corey and Rhonda got home that night and she didn't hear her husband specifically say, don't ever do that again, Rhonda did it again. And then again. 
he never said he wouldn't go back. We went for three weeks. And at the end of week three, he, he said, I don't want to do this. And I said, you know, fair enough. I mean, you've been a good sport. I tricked you into it. And he was like, oh, don't fair enough me, Rhonda. And he said, you and God have wrecked me. I, I, I like simple and safe and predictable. And I don't want to do this. But now I know the statistics. And now I know the children in our county alone that just need a home. And we can't not do this. That night, Corey and Rhonda Paulson decided to sign on the dotted line and become foster parents. But that's not exactly what this story is about. That would, after all, be a story that is simple and safe and predictable. But no one would call what happened after that night simple or safe or predictable. This is Stories of Hope, Episode 60, What If? The last time Rhonda Paulson went on a field trip, she was a middle-aged mother of two. It was week seven of Carter County's 2014 foster care training class. And Rhonda, along with her husband, Corey, and a group of other prospective foster parents, had set out on an after-hours tour of the Carter County, Tennessee Department of Children's Services. They've redone it since then, but at that point, I mean, dingy carpet, no windows, no color, state-issued furniture. And the gentleman that was leading our week seven class said, when a child is removed from their home, they come here. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. Like, why would you bring a child here? And so I raised my hand and I said, when you say a child comes here, what do you actually mean? And he said, a little girl slept on this floor last night. God and I had a moment right there in that conference room. Um, my, I remember my chest actually hurting, like my heart was aching and my shoulders got real heavy and kind of went toward the table and I couldn't stop crying. And I just kept seeing this little girl. And the only thing she had with her was a black trash bag full of some things they grabbed. And she was sleeping on this dingy carpet, alone, scared. And I was just crying and I, I heard God say, these are my children, what are you gonna do? That question hung in the air for days, and then months, and then years. Rhonda and Corey became foster parents. Life went on. And then, in January 2017, the state placed a baby boy in the Paulsons' home. His name was Isaiah. And I've never been one to like take a verse because it fits, that one verse fits your moment. But we started reading through Isaiah and we landed on Isaiah 117. And it says, do good, seek justice, take care of the widow, and defend the cause of the fatherless. Somehow, that Bible verse transported Rhonda back to that night when she heard that story about that girl sleeping on that dingy brown carpet. And that led her to ask, what if? What if there was a home? What if there was a home? What if on the child's worst day, on their most traumatic day, they don't go to a cubicle or a conference room, they go to a home because you're not in trouble. You are loved, you are worthy. And so then it became, what if we could lighten the load of a caseworker? I mean, what state employee ever has someone say, how can I lighten your load? What if we can be those people? 
And then like, what if we could love on foster families? What if, instead of getting a call at 2 a.m. that says we have a sibling group of three, they all have lice, they all need baths, they have zero possessions, can we bring them to your home right now? We get to say, we have a sibling group of three, they've had baths, they played outside, they had a snack, they had dinner. They're in their new pajamas with their teeth brushed. They have bags full of stuff, everything they need for the next week. And so that was really the dream, this idea of what if there was a home? So I finally said yes to the question God asked me in 2014 in that conference room. And um, that's, that was the beginning of Isaiah 117 House. Rhonda Paulson knew all about cadavers and pom-poms. She knew nothing about how to start a nonprofit. So she did the only thing she knew how to do. She found a friend just as clueless as she was, and together they began to search the internet. We were sitting in a coffee shop in January of 2017, me and a friend of mine named Julie, and we literally Googled how to start a nonprofit. And um, we literally followed that list. It was like step one, you know, file for a 501c3. Step two, form a board. You know, we're just going down this list. And in that coffee shop that day, we bought the domain name, Isaiah117house.com. And I am not kidding you when I tell you I had no idea what a domain name was. Someone else suggested that Rhonda advertise her idea on social media. Rhonda had no idea how to do that. So she and Corey recorded a video and then found a friend who helped them post it to Facebook. After three days passed, Rhonda, the social media skeptic, decided nothing would come of that. But she was wrong. I was a college professor and cheer and dance coach, and I refused to get on Facebook. I didn't understand why people got on the Facebook, but um, a friend of mine called and said, Rhonda, 25,000 people have watched the video I posted of you and your husband, and the local news wants to interview you. Like, all of a sudden, every newspaper wanted to interview us, every radio station, every TV station. And I, I tell people I couldn't go anywhere in our little town um, that some big burly man wouldn't stop me and say, my wife made me watch that video of you and your husband. I had me crying in my coffee. We got to get them kids a house. You know, I'd be like, the power of the Facebook. Who knew? And then children started holding lemonade stands because they heard there were children that needed a home. $7,000 was raised that summer in lemonade. The car show gave us money. The nursing home held a bake sale. I'm not kidding you when I tell you, the entire community rallied around this idea. And we paid cash, we paid $75,000 that summer and paid cash for a home. The home needed work, but that would not be a problem. Landscapers and plumbers and builders and electricians lined up to help. Firefighters donated labor and a furniture store donated beds and sofas and tables and chairs. And that is how, on June 19, 2018, the Isaiah 117 House in Elizabethton, Tennessee opened for business. Everybody rallied around this dream. And in less than a year, we had a debt-free home, beautifully remodeled for free, a fully funded first year's budget in the bank, every closet full, and we were ready to serve the children of Carter County. And what's really funny and amazing about that is we thought we were done. 
what Rhonda imagined would be the end turned out to be the beginning. Word got around, and in a matter of months, one house became two, and then three, and then four. First next door in Washington County, then in Greene County, and then in Sullivan County. Then came Indiana, and then Florida, and then Virginia. And now, there are more than 20 Isaiah 117 homes scattered all over the southeastern U.S. And it is working so much better than I ever imagined. Like, I remember when we first opened the home in Carter County, I kept saying, y'all, this is working. And they would go, well, you told us it would. I was like, well, I didn't know if it would work. I mean, of course God would give us a model. It's just like a physical representation of that message of the gospel. Like, you're not alone. It was not that long ago that Rhonda Paulson, after tricking her husband into attending a foster care class, sat weeping in front of a room full of strangers. Now, when she's asked how she got from there to here in so short a time, she has only one explanation. This is not her doing. This is much more than anyone could have ever expected from an unqualified, overmatched cheerleading coach slash anatomy professor who had a strong preference for all things simple and safe and predictable. I always tell people, if you want God to have the glory, you put someone totally ill-equipped in charge. Like, He truly did this. And God spoke to me in that conference room, but that's not rare. He's not just speaking to me. I think people forget He's speaking to all of us all the time. So I hope people hear this story and realize that God's asking something of all of us. You don't have to be paralyzed by not having all the answers. You don't have to be paralyzed by thinking you're not enough. You just say yes. And then you get to watch him show up. And it's really unbelievable. This is Bryant Wright. In the U.S. now, there are more than 400,000 children in the foster care system. Every single one of them needs to know someone sees them and cares about them. For many years, Lynette Ezell, host of Adopting and Fostering Home podcast, has been talking to experts and collecting ideas on how churches and individuals can do just that. Here's Lynette talking with Stories of Hope producer Tony Hudson about what you and your church can do to reach out to children in foster care. Lynette, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Uh, I wanted to first ask you, uh, adoption and foster care for you personally is a big deal for you and your family. Tell me, tell me, just kind of give me a sense of why it's so important for you and your family. Yeah, you know, it just uh, I'm one of the, when I would do when I do a recording, you know, and someone says to me. Um, when someone says to me, uh, fo- adoption, foster care has been on my heart since I was a little girl. I get that. I was that child, you know. And so when Kevin and I got married, um, the Lord, you know, we had some losses, but the Lord just began to add to our family. But we saw a pastor and his wife model it well for us in one of our churches, and they were in another denomination. And we just saw them model that really well. And I was carrying our daughter at the time, and so I uh, 
we uh, we knew that at some point the Lord was going to lead us to do this. But just seeing the need, you know, I was raised in a home where you see a need, meet a need. And so just had to jump in. We applied, <clears throat> life changed, and our family kept growing. And so that kind of got pushed aside a little bit. But we had to work hard, you know. Kevin had to work hard to make adoption happen. We knew the Lord had called us to it. I'm talking manual labor, Tony. Like, it was hard work to pay for adoptions, you know. But in that, the Lord was also building our story. And he was also working on our character and sanctification. And so we were just an average family who prayed and we trusted the Lord to fill our home. Now, I don't want people to look at us and say, oh, what a, you know, they're a perfect family. We've had some really tough seasons, you know, in this adoption journey. But through adoption, the Lord took our family on a journey we could have never built on our own. We could have never imagined. I don't want other people to miss that. I don't want other people to miss the joy of knowing these precious souls that just want love and protection in their life. And so God didn't call these elves to be a perfect family. He called us to faithfulness. And that's our goal. We feel like that's the success story. If we're just faithful to what he's asked us to do, he called us to show up. Kevin and I, we can show up. We may not have the answers, but we can show up and love well and to love through his power. He's taught us that, not our own. And so it's it's just been a journey for our family that we could have never imagined until we opened our home and said, Lord, what we have is yours. That's awesome. That's awesome. It seems like every time we interview somebody who's involved in ministry, no matter what ministry it is, they will always say at some point, I wish people knew blank. Oh, yeah. What do you wish people knew about kids in the in, in, in foster care system who, who, need, who need a family? You know, that's a great question. I don't know if I've ever answered this question before, but I'd, it's really just come to the forefront of my mind. What I want everyone to know that these kids are just like your kids and my kids. They're the babies and teens that you love and protect. They're just like those kids that you love in your life. And so they desperately want to be loved. They want to be safe. As I said earlier, they have hopes and dreams for their future. They just don't know how to get it. They don't have any support. They, they, you know, God's calling them into a relationship with himself. He has a plan and purpose for their life, and yet they don't have any support to even know what that is, you know, to even find that. And because of their past pain, of their neglect, their abuse, they probably don't even know how to receive the care and nurture we want to give them, right? And here's what I want the church to know, that they need time to heal, and they need loads of grace just like we do. And they're just like your kids. They're just kids. They're not scary. They're just kids. But as we model Jesus consistently by building those strong, healthy relationships, I'm all about that, in their lives, the Lord will use our families as healing agents for their trauma. And then they can have a relationship with the Lord. And everyone has, I truly believe, everyone can do something. This is a crisis, in our, in our world and in our country. It is. And we can all do something, and we're all called to just do a part. If everyone did a part within the body of Christ, who better to deliver Christ's unconditional love than the body of Christ, right? And so if we all do something, we're all capable of, of making this model, this picture of what Jesus did for us when he put on flesh and entered our brokenness. He's asking us to enter their brokenness in some way. It'll all look different for all of us, but we all have to find that something and then do it. 
than actually grab our car keys, get in our car, drive to Target, drive to our local DFACS office, do something, go buy a bag of diapers, go wrap around care around that foster family down the street and take them a meal. We all have a part to play and we just got to do it. Lynette, Rhonda did something big. She did something really hard. And and I don't think she really even recognized how big it was going to be when she got started. And I know a lot of people would hear that and they would say, oh, that's too big. I I don't think I I don't think I'm really cut out for something like that. But everybody can do something. What can pastors, what can churches, what can individual believers take away from Rhonda's story? Yeah, I just, you know, as far as pastors and leadership, my husband was my pastor for 25 years. We have to say it from the pulpit. We have to recognize it. And I would say for every church, find a foster family. Raise up a foster family and let that be a model. We've seen it happen here in our area, in church, a church I was involved in. Once we got that first or second family going, then every age group recognized it. Oh, these are... These are just kids, like the kids next door, like my niece and my nephew, my grandchildren. These are just kids. And so when leadership bought into it, if they would just mention it from the pulpit, um, if they would take notice of May and November, you know, Foster Care Awareness Month, Adoption Awareness Month, if they would just, you know, make that, even even teach it among the youth group and just make it part of their DNA— you will see incredible things happen. You will see every time a woman's at Kroger, she's like, oh, I think I'm going to pick up a gift card for a foster family. I don't even know who they are, but I'll get it to them. You will see things begin to change. And for us to become that New Testament church when Paul said, be ready to meet urgent needs. Because urgent needs happen every single minute of every day in our nation, our state, and our world. And those, those, um, those needs should be met through the body of Christ. I love that. That's awesome. Lynette, thank you so much for talking with us. Thanks, Tony. Bryant, back to you. Thanks, Tony, and thank you, Lynette. And thank you for listening to this episode of Stories of Hope. If you'd like to learn more about Isaiah 117 houses and see how they do what they do, you can visit them online at Isaiah117house.com. And if you'd like still more practical tips on how you and your church can meet needs and change lives of the children in the foster care system, you can visit Sin Relief online at sinrelief.org. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to Stories of Hope. You'll automatically get a new episode every two weeks. Go to Apple or Spotify podcasts and search for Stories of Hope. And finally, if you've liked what you've heard, rate us. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That'll help other people find us and enjoy these stories too. This is Bryant Wright with Sin Relief. Join me in two weeks for another episode of Stories of Hope.